I was always an outsider. I was the only Asian kid at school and you know over, over time I sort of experienced these things that people often talk about about not being included or, or whatever and so I became a little bit empathetic to their cause and, and empathetic to their needs and I was able to help them articulate their messages meaningfully to the people that they wanted to communicate with. As communicators it becomes less about your information and more about that human connection and that, that human uh, relevance to, to whatever we are trying to achieve as an objective. Welcome to episode 163 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. TED Talks deliver ideas worth sharing, but what makes one presentation more captivating than others? When information is presented to us, it's difficult to remember a string of facts. Instead, people connect and empathise through the use of story to teach knowledge and impart wisdom. John Yeo, curator and licensee of TEDx Melbourne, is a communication expert, a facilitator of growth and an entrepreneur. John has a rich history of helping leaders engage their followers and develop speakers to present both TED Talks and business presentations. In today's episode of Be The Drop, John explains why we need good communication skills and how to develop them. He shares real examples and relatable analogies to show how stories affect us and how we don't do our pictures justice without them. This is John's version of Be The Drop. James Cridlin, podnews.net editor and international podcast speaker, is coming to Adelaide on Wednesday, 23rd of October to present the latest data on podcasting trends from around the world. I'm super excited to host this event and would love to see you there. Head to bit.ly slash podnewsadelaide or hit the link in the show notes to book. And if you use the code HEROES, you'll even jag yourself a discount. John, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. My name's John Yeo. I'm an executive speaker coach, but I'm mostly known for being the licensee and curator for TEDx Melbourne. Tell us about your career experience and journey. My work in the speaking world kind of ended up a little bit by accident, but it was out of necessity. In the 90s, I was in charge of a lot of Y2K projects for people who are old enough to remember what that was. <laughs> but as an engineer, there was not a lot of opportunity for senior executives and engineers to connect and engage. So the only opportunity I got to speak with a CEO was a corridor conversation. So I got really good at doing these little sound bites that were compelling, engaging and relevant. And I developed a little bit of a practice and process around that that then turned out uh, to be really, really helpful when I took on the TEDx Melbourne role in terms of finding and helping speakers do their talks in 18 minutes or less. And so that little process then became a little bit more scientific. I'm a bit of a geek, as you know, from the technology point of view. I started analysing things like when would people pause a video or rewind a video? And I would work out the behaviour that happened just before that and worked out that there are certain characteristics and qualities and aspects of people speaking that cause people to engage or not with your content. And so I kind of did a little bit of a micro data analysis type thing and sort of developed the practice and programs that I have today. Mm. And so it's got to the point where some of my work's now being considered for MBA programs, Future Forward, and I want to actually turn it into a speaking science. That's my 
bigger goal. From a communications perspective, yep. what do you think are some of the key things then that really helps shift conversations and particularly in something that's emotive and yeah. got you know that emotional engagement and potentially fear and anger associated with that? Yeah, I look, I think from a personal point of view in terms of a diversity background, I was always an outsider. I was the only Asian kid at school and you know over over time I sort of experienced these things that people often talk about about not being included or or whatever and so I became a little bit empathetic to their cause and, and empathetic to their needs and I was able to help them articulate their messages meaningfully to the people that they wanted to communicate with. So it was two parts to that. It's about getting clarity about what's important to you and how you might make that clear to someone else and I find that believe it or not most people are not clear and then they end up tripping over the words or not being clear or not being understood or if they say something no one does anything about it. So that's the first bit about getting clear because it's not clear in your head then it's obviously not going to be clear in someone else's and the second part is about getting your listener your audience to care about what you're about to say. So how do you empathetically connect but also then make it contextually relevant. So how you position an idea then becomes just important as what you're going to say. And so it's the alignment of those two things and how you bring those together that I feel that creates the effectiveness of engagement and making sure people sit up and take, take a stand. And so in my work, it's extended from all sorts of things, from diversity and minorities, from my background point of view, but also youth, youth at risk, women in leadership roles, and a whole bunch of things that where people have a core message that they're passionate about, but don't necessarily have the platform or the skills or the capability to sort of really connect so I've been working with mostly those groups to help them sort of find their voice. Mm. And so what do you think is key then? And you mentioned there, you know, people might have a conversation, but then people don't take action. Yeah. What is it, you know, you know, what are those key things that helps people deliver a conversation in a way yeah. that can drive action? Yeah. Look, I think the, the first thing that most people confuse is they think that knowledge equals change. And, you know, I think no question the education fundamentally changed the way the world works and no question that's the great first step but in terms to getting that next level of engagement there's a bit of a challenge. The analogy I like to use is everyone knows you should eat well do lots of exercise but almost no one does it. So what you know and what you do are different things and so getting people to do something is a function of understanding what motivates and drives them but also what limits and, and constrains them to achieve or move forward even if they agree with you. So I like to break it down. So in their world, what's going on? What's distracting them? What are their primary motivations? What's their relationship with you? What's their relationship with the subject you're about to share? And what's their relationship with the context of the world that they're in, in terms of their belief to change the world that they're in? And so aligning all that then becomes part of the conversation and then part of the communication strategy that you might need to do to make sure that they're able to achieve that end. So it's really about saying the right thing at the right time to the right person in the right way. And so that might be to one person, it might be to groups of people, it might be to stakeholders. What is it that we need to do sort of constantly tweak that message so that it's continually able to move forward? And so that then becomes a psychological construct in, in an individual's mind about their ability to achieve the change rather than the knowledge about that change. Very rare that people change just because it's logical. And so what creates the empathy, the engagement, the resonance to them, then becomes the next hurdle from a great communicator. You've got that all in place, you structure it in such a way that they can understand it, you place it at the right time, how they're gonna care. So especially you know, when, from a speaking point of view, 
on the stage you know, is more often what I work with, but how do you create the curiosity and intrigue for them to engage with your content in the first place? And then how do you catalyze and polarize them to move forward? And so then just becomes an understanding of their state, whether you call that energy or momentum or enthusiasm, whatever word you want to give it, how do you cultivate that so that you're moving together with them in that journey forward? And so that might be an empowerment thing, it might be a support thing, it might be an alignment with their objectives and ideals and, and helping them through that. There's a whole bunch of ways that you could do that, but at the end of the day, it's still about that human connection and that human caring that drives that, that motivation. And so as communicators, it becomes less about your information and more about that human connection and that, that human uh, relevance to, to whatever we are trying to achieve as an objective. Mm, and I love that. And yeah, absolutely. Be, you know, people might know and understand something, but that doesn't mean they're going to do. The, the conversation that's limiting and that's, you know, blocking or challenging change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, from your perspective or your experiences, have, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, it, it's, a, it's a bit sad, but I mean, I, I suppose great change requires people to universally and simultaneously agree on a single aspect. And so to coordinate that is a huge undertaking unless there's some pivotal moment. So if you think about the pivotal moments that have radically changed the world, it's things like, you know, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech or, or Greta Thunberg's conversation about climate. It catalyzes and polarizes people as a collective to move forward. What stops that I find typically happens at, at three levels. Structural, so we don't have the rules or processes or whatever to do that. Political, I'm not interested in doing that because I'm quite comfortable the way it is. And social, which is really around what's an individual's motivation to contribute to the collective that allows everyone to move forward. And it's managing the social aspects of multiple stakeholders, usually for those bigger type movements that's required. And so, again, how do you simultaneously address those three aspects as you're communicating that message that then becomes, I feel, the driver or the, or the biggest chance of moving some, something forward? Mm. But so storytelling, yes. so tell me a little bit more about that as, yeah. you know, something, you know, why you believe it's so powerful. Storytelling is powerful partly because of that tribal instinct. I think we're biologically inclined to do that. So I think it's a skill set. It's a valuable skill set that I think we should nurture and, and cultivate in ourselves. The challenge will be people who turn that into a formula. So they follow, for instance, Joseph Campbell's hero journey, hero's journey literally to the point. And that's when it gets annoying because that's when it gets predictable. So storytelling, and this is what I sort of worked out, I, I designed a storytelling framework. I don't call it storytelling actually. I talk about communication framework not a communication formula, because the moment you start getting dogmatic about something is when it loses its effectiveness and its resilience and its flexibility. Storytelling is not just telling something in a certain way. Storytelling is about understanding what the audience is doing, observing how they're responding, and interacting with them based on that. So even though one person's speaking, there's a two-person dynamic. I think the ability to craft a message interact with an individual, connect in a meaningful way, and still keep to track, then becomes the skill of a great storyteller. Mm. And there's a lot of things going on there. Yeah. So that is a lot of skill. Yeah, it is. It gets complicated, 
but not untenable. I think there's a, there's a bunch of principles underneath that. Communicating in general is not that complicated. It's having something relevant to say and the ability to hold someone's attention. And if you can't do one or the other, you're in trouble. But it's not binary, it's a spectrum. You know, you need to work out where you need to be on that spectrum in order to meet the expectations of the listener. So when you're in a classroom, they expect relevance. They don't, they don't expect singing and dancing. If you're an actor on stage, they expect to be entertained. They don't expect information transfer. But where do you need to be in the middle in order to achieve the expectations of the listener as opposed to, I'm just going to say what I know? Because if you say what you know, people won't necessarily do it. And we said that before, you know, you should eat well, do lots of exercise. No one does it. Also, knowledge is arguably, because of the internet, largely free. So if you have the knowledge, someone else probably also already, already has a knowledge similar, if not the same as that. So it's not a differentiating factor anymore. So communication is therefore a balance in my world of three specific things. Content, what are you gonna say? Now it's not content is king content, but content that's relevant. Because if you have content, but it's not relevant, you shouldn't be saying anything at all. Next one is context, understanding where the listener's world is at and how you need to relate to them in a, in a meaningful and empathetic way. So, you know, if they're not interested in your topic, how would you make that more interesting to them, for instance? It can even be time of day. If you're speaking to someone, you know, Monday morning, they're probably more alert than Friday afternoon. So context can be a whole bunch of things that, environmental also, that impact their ability to observe. And the last one is intent, which is what's the connection that we have as storytellers and listeners. If you turn up at a classroom, you expect to listen, but no one expects to be lectured in a social environment. So what's your intent for that person? Do they believe it's a good intent and therefore are they more likely to listen to you because that intention is pure or good? And if you haven't got your intention right, it doesn't matter what your content is and it doesn't matter what your context is because they're not going to believe you or trust you in the first place. So it's about understanding that dynamic that makes the storytelling more compelling rather than I'm going to start at A, I'm going to keep going to like to Z and then we can both part ways which is then just talking at someone rather than with someone. Mm. So, yeah, and then, you know, that, that listening skill and the dynamic of, of, of feedback from yeah. your audience becomes really important. Yeah, exactly. And as a speaker, you need to listen with your eyes. What are they doing? How are they responding? What's their state and what's your state? And what do you want to do or need to do to make sure that they continue to stay engaged with that message? Mm. Which means it's a very active process. You know, yeah. as you say, it's not just about putting out A to Z story, yeah. okay, I'll go. Yeah. You're talking about an ongoing, constant review and potentially change. Yeah, absolutely. I'm constantly changing. If you're not, you're missing an opportunity to connect. And everything's about human connection. Storytelling in particular is about human connection. And if we've chosen or been ignorant enough to not connect, then we've the opportunity's gone before we even start. You know, and for me, I often think about that the storyteller that makes you lean in, you know, mm -hmm. there's that you you really, you know, as an audience member, you yeah. are so listening or the, you're there. And, yeah. you know, as you say, there's that human connection. Mm -hmm. How does the person master the storytelling to get yeah. to a point where they get a lean in audience? In my world, to get people to stay continually engaged, you need to spend more time understanding the audience rather than getting whatever you wanted to say said. And I think a lot of people do it the other way around. They go, I'm going to say something and then I'm going to continue to say it until I get to the end. If they're responding, if they're engaging, if they're interested, then obviously then even if they're only listening, there's a, there's a two-way interaction. So what's the curiosity and intrigue you need to create? 
because that opens the door for them to kind of explore the possibility. What are what I call the five perspectives that cause someone to stay engaged or not? I find that there's five perspectives that cause someone to agree or disagree with what you're saying. The first one is environment. That's where your world meets their world. And so contextually, they need to, to believe that you understand their world just as much as they understand their world. Great brands that do really well at the environmental level do two things. They have a strong position, they create a disproportionate amount of attention. So you think about Elon Musk and his tweets, or you know, Richard Branson and his PR stunts. Uh, even Greta Thunberg with, a, with you know, the strong position and her absolute belief in herself and the message that she's, she's holding. So that's environment. From a commercial point of view, it's, it's obvious stuff. Market, market size, market direction, which way is it going, what's the sentiment, that sort of stuff. Brands distinguish themselves in the market, but the marketing dictates what people perceive of you. So for instance, at the moment, there's a Royal Commission. So if you're in banking, you're not seen as the same light as you were, say, 20 years ago, if you're in banking. Nothing you can do, but that's the environment you're in. Next level down is organization, which is what is that organization doing to distinguish itself so that you have a visceral response when you hear about it. So when I say Apple or Des Tesla or Disney, people have visceral responses to those brands versus any other organization that might produce a similar product or service. That's the next layer down. The next one is individual. Individual is where the personal sales made, is where a trust and rapport and relationship is established. That's where credibility is established as well. That's where intent becomes really, really important as well because if you're trying to sell at someone, it's off-putting. So how do you match that dynamic of what that listener is expecting so that you can at least initiate that meaningful engagement? It's only at that point that you can talk about your idea or your message, which is the vast majority of your conversation. If they don't trust you, you're in trouble. They don't trust your message. If they don't trust your organization, they won't trust your message. If they don't trust your industry, they won't trust your message. The problem is most people choose to ignore those top three layers. And so what do we need to do or say? And it can even be a sentence that addresses those so that there isn't a gap. Because if there's a gap, there's distraction and there's potentially doubt. And both of those will undermine your credibility, undermine uh, your message, undermine everything you have, even though your message might be sound. Uh, and the message, like I said, curiosity, intrigue, meaningful engagement, all those sorts of things. The last level, the, the bottom level, the most important one that supports everything is the audience. And it's what do you need to do in order for that audience to disproportionately act in your favor. So it's not just you know, marketing avatars, it's what are gonna get them to be fanatical. Sporting brands do amazing jobs in this area, but even brands like Apple, Tesla, Disney do an amazing job. You know, it wasn't that long ago where if Apple would launch a product, people would camp outside the store without even knowing whether the product's any good. My favorite example there is my brother. He, three years ago, put $1,000 down on a car he hadn't seen, Tesla Model 3 without knowing whether they're gonna do the electric infrastructure in his town because that's how much he believes in sustainable living. And the Tesla Model 3 is a fascinating product because it's gonna sell for about 45,000 US dollars when it comes out. But if you wanted to be one of the first thousand owners, you could pay up front, but you had to pay $250,000 and it sold out. So there were a thousand people willing to pay five times the retail price without knowing what the product looked like, without knowing whether they're going to be the electric infrastructure in the town they're going to live in, because that's how much they believe in the Tesla Model 3 as a brand. Mm. And that's the reason why Tesla has a larger market cap than all the other automotives, even though it's been around a tenth of the time. Because it's the way you cultivate and nurture the relationships with your community or tribe that gives you that relationship. And so 
all the great brands build great communities. So Facebook, Nike, and Disney, and Apple, they all have a place where their tribe can come together and be together. And I think great brands need to underestimate the power of, of, of bottom-up relationships. And so what do we need to do to nurture that that then becomes the powerful part of our message? The other parts of it just become the mechanics by which you make sure that everything's in place so that this relationship is on solid footing. Mm. So you're really coming down to that inspiring a belief psychology yeah. aspect. Yeah, exactly. And you can't do that at the organisation level. You can't do it at the individual level. Definitely can't do it at the environmental level. So it's at that audience community level. Yeah, yeah. Because, and the reason for that is at that level you're talking to human beings. You know, humans having conversations with other humans. It's not a sell job at the idea level. It's not a I'm qualified at the individual level. It's not a this is the brand you should like because there's no empathy around that brand necessarily. It's what's the human interaction and how, how do we relate to that? Mm. There's a thousand case, case studies. Ben & Jerry's in its early days was a classic example. Like there's so many brands that did that well. Mm. With TEDx you yep. know, and the communication that you've seen you know, in TEDx Melbourne, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that really stand out? You know, what yeah. are some of the presentations that have just blown your socks? Have, yep. they, they've communicated in a way that has really inspired belief. You yeah. know, is there any consistent things that they've done or any examples that stand out for yeah, that? I, I think the really, really good ones have mastered simplicity. I think they've positioned their idea enough out that challenges your worldview about what their topic is, but not too much that it's radical and people kind of write it off almost straight away. And then they're able to empathetically lead people through that journey so that they come to see their point of view as an equally valid point of view, if not a better one, the one you started with when you pressed play on the video in the first place. Again, it comes back to things like curiosity and intrigue and catalyze and polarize. What I like to say, remarkable outside of your industry or area of expertise. Like, this can't be just because I'm an expert, therefore people should listen, because that's entitlement. But, you know, I've got this idea, what do you think about this? Come, come explore this with me, then invites people to a new way of thinking. And I think Ted has done an extraordinary job maintaining that over the, the 10 years it's been online and the 30 years it's been running as a conference. Fantastic. In conclusion though, can yeah. you give me your be the drop tip? I would say that the, the, the top tips would be have absolute clarity on the message that's so simple that almost anyone could repeat it when you left the room. In addition to that, how do you make that compelling enough that people get excited when they hear that simple statement? And then I think the third thing is that the message is not about you, it's, it's, it's for them. Like, how do you help them relate and achieve their objectives, their dreams, their passions, their goals, whatever, because you've managed to interact or had an opportunity to interact with them. Because if we're not in service, then the dynamic's not there to really create the opportunity to have not only that meaningful engagement, but further conversations. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with with any specific comments you have, you can email me
me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop. And look what comes from that. Thank you.